Hey guys, Jeff here from BestTechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes, episode number four. Today I'm going to be speaking with Varun Maya, a successful entrepreneur who has raised his first round of capital, venture capital, at the age of 20. Enjoy. So I'm with Varun Maya, the CEO of Avalon Labs, a profitable uh, tech agency. They do a lot of interesting work with other companies. He's also the author of Pajama Profit, a book um, being put out by Bloomsbury uh, in the next month or so. And he's working on some other really cool projects such as Inquidu, which I just covered yesterday on Best Tech. If you haven't seen the article yet, definitely um, be sure to read that and check it out. But uh, thanks for joining me, Varun. I really appreciate you being on the show. Yep. Uh, it's my honor. <laughs> awesome. So I want, I want you to talk a little bit about at first just who you are. I know we just introduced you, but obviously a little bit more background about who you are, what you're doing currently, what you've done in the past, and uh, you know how long you've been in the tech scene. Got it. So I think uh, you know it started with my mom gifting me a computer a long, long, long time ago, maybe when I was six or seven. That's when I got on mm-hmm. the internet. Uh, nobody knew what it was <laughs> back then. Nobody knew how pervasive it would be. Uh, but then, you know, I kind of winged it. Uh, at the age of 16, I started my first company. Uh, it was called Sizer. It was it, it, we were we were we were doing graphic design for other people, right? So we just kind of got hooked onto um, you know making some money online on one some of these freelancing websites. We were also doing you know we were printing T-shirts and and putting some funny stuff on them because we were graphic designers, right? And a lot of people around us started buying those T-shirts and we're like, hey, you know, we can make some money off this. Uh, but then the effort and time it took to kind of make these t-shirts it just didn't make sense so so we said let's let's look for projects online and we didn't know how to do that right so we came and taught i mean we came across odesk uh, now it's called upwork but at that point it was called odesk we just kind of stumbled upon it we just started slow and then it slowly built steam you know uh, you know uh, i think in 2011 we were making like 3 or 4 dollars an hour and then by the end of 2013 we were billing $150 an hour, right? So we went from doing graphic design to kind of building apps for other people to kind of building websites for other people. Then we started doing product roles. We started making decisions on what needs to be built in the first place. And a lot of companies across the world used to value that, right? Especially because we were significantly cheaper than most people they could hire around them, right? And they didn't have to pay for seat costs or whatever. They didn't have to figure out real estate. We could just, I mean, we were working out of India. They were out of the States or in Italy or whichever part of the world was was more favorable for them to be out based out of and you know then we got bored right we were just like why are we doing this for other people we can just do this for ourselves so so that's when we started jobspire which was our uh, which was a recruitment platform um in the early days we said you know we're going to be different from other recruitment platforms we're going to have you can do window shopping right we'll show you what the company looks like we'll show you the kind of people who work there so you can make an informed decision when you're applying for a company and I was completely new to the startup scene, right? Until now, I've, I'd always built things with, you know, you, you know, you give X amount of time away, you made some amount of money, and and it was it was a very, uh, you knew the ratio, you knew what you were putting in, you knew what you were getting. But with the startup, with a product-based startup, we didn't know when we were going to be profitable, right? So we, we we spent a lot of time just building out the product, getting as many users as possible, and then slowly, you know, the revenue started trickling in. We kind of got uh, bored of that too. Uh, not bored exactly, but you know, once you <laughs> once you built a product startup, and it's started making some, uh, you know, a little bit of money, and it's it's doing okay. You don't have too much 
to add to it right you you've done your partnerships the product works the development team doesn't have much to do so uh, you know we we said let's move on to better things we said let's move on to things that uh, make a lot more sense or that the challengers rather so we sold that company in 2017 we just we moved on we started avalon labs which is what where i currently work um and avalon labs the focus with avalon labs was let's just do exciting things let's if you need to build things for the people let's do that if you need to uh, kind of build a product we'll do that i mean whatever makes sense right and 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 that's how avalon started i got together i think it was me and this uh, one other guy um out of you know a small apartment because you know right after jobspire was done we said you know let's go back to our roots and, and start something out of you know a small house or something and we did that we did that for a while and then you know more people joined us my co-founder shashank uh, joined me and we kind of built this together we we started take on bigger and bigger projects we started doing joint ventures with individuals from multi billion dollar companies and and at that point we we were like hey we're on to something right our, our run rate had touched almost 500000 a year and like okay let's now let's build a really cool product so so we built kamandia which was which is india's first mental health platform we then built um, foxbound which is an email outreach tool uh, now and now we're working on enkidu which is you know it's 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 a tool that allows people to start and run companies at negligible cost right i i don't think it should be difficult to start and run a company so uh, if you look at everything we've done we've kind of just solved our own problems i mean jobspy we started <laughs> right out of college because like okay finding a job is difficult for our friends um foxbound we started because we were doing a lot of outreach for like hey this is a problem we can solve and kidu we were just building too many companies so it's just like let's make this easier for ourselves so i guess um i like solving my own problems um and and that's that's what i can plan to continue doing you know for the rest of my life right no I, I, look i'm with you on that solving your own problems is always key you know and also you know chances are i found when when you when you as an individual at a, either running your own company or just at at someone else's company have a problem chances are other people in the world have that problem too um and if it's a real pain point that 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 can that you can figure out a way to address and uh offer a solution for people you know you could send you could you can build a business out of it it's that's absolutely something that's true uh and clearly you've been doing that for a long time i remember when i started online uh i was i was also very young my parents um they bought me a computer as well um they bought me you, you know like the you know like the original imax the colored ones the ones that mm-hmm. have like, the different colors All right, mm-hmm. so my parents bought me like a rip off of an iMac. It was it was it was it was it looked like an iMac, but it was by a company called E-Machines. And mm-hmm. um it was called the E1 and it ran Windows and uh it was a crappy little computer, but it was my computer and uh it got me into you know, into technology and when it got me started. Uh and and that's how I, you know, that's 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 how I got my start too. So you know it's it's always uh good when you have like you know good kind of influence like a parent or something who can kind of like you know even 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 if they're not like you know knowledgeable about the space if they just encourage you to learn something new certainly certainly is a uh, nice nice to have that um so you've been doing this for a long time clearly mm-hmm. uh you know and and you talked a little bit of how you got into technology and startups and One of the things I I saw I read about you and that you've told me and we talked a little bit about is that uh you raised your first round of venture capital at the age of 20. Mhm. Uh tell 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 me a little bit about how that ha- kind of happened what you know what what 
what processes led to that that occurring and is there you know is there anything is there is there any kind of really interesting story behind how that kind of fell into place yep so i think uh, um the story or, or the key takeaway from this is learn how to write a cold email <laughs> right so when i was when we started jobs by right we we didn't even know if we wanted to raise capital we're just like let's see you know if if this is something we want to do so what i did was i emailed i think 400 or 500 different investors angel investors in india at that point and i said we're building this recruitment platform do you want to invest right and I did that so many times and, and, and I'd follow up manually. Today there are tools to do all of that. At that time, we, we couldn't afford mm -hmm. those tools. So I would just manually send out email over email over email, wait for a reply. If there was no reply, send that person an email again. I had like a list, an Excel sheet where I'd be like, okay, this person has to be spammed today at this time, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I've, been and eventually there. I've been there myself as well. Yeah. And eventually somebody replied, right? I mean, uh, and, and when they replied, I got on a call. And, and the first investor I met, I remember very clearly, he, he, he ran a very, very famous media company in India. So he said, I'm not going to invest cash. I, I, I'll give you some media space, right? But you give me like 10% equity. And I, and I went back thinking that was a good deal. I said, you know, somebody's, somebody's willing to invest in my company. It's not cash, but, you know, we, maybe we might make some use out of this. But then after a couple of days, I was like, wait what am I going to do with media space if I don't have enough money to kind of hire a developer and run my product? So I went back to the mill uh, and I kept doing this again and again and again until I met my first legit investor. His name was Nikon Jain. He, he used to run a company called Frankly at that point. And, uh, you know, he kind of put some money in. He said, you know, I'll give you guys a shot. Uh, you've never done this before. You're probably the youngest entrepreneurs I've invested in. But, you know, what the hell? Let, let's go for it. And, and India was in a, I mean, the startup, investments in india at that point it started trickling down so everybody everybody's a little cautious but you know i was like i think we can still make make something out of this dying light right and right and then what, what, we what had, year was this that this happened i think this was 2013 or 14 i don't remember uh in, in my head dates dates are very muddled because we do so many things <laughs> i just don't remember right. the timeline of things but um at this point uh, you know another really big investor called ravi Sivastava, he he was running this fund called Purvi Capital. And he said, you know what? I like you guys. I've, I've seen your progress for a while. So what I used to do, and I still do, is I'll send you an email and I'll tell you, you know, this is what we do. And then if you don't reply, I'll send you a follow-up email and I'll say, look, I'm just keeping you in the loop with progress and updates. And if you don't want me to send you these update emails, I'll just, I'll stop, right? And th this is a personalized one-to-one -one email I'm sending you with these updates. And what I've seen is in update number four or five, people want to get on a call with you. Even if they can't, don't want to invest money or whatever, they just want to have a chat. They're like, hey, you know what? I've seen you guys make progress for the last three or four months. And to be very honest, it's become part of community, right? An extended community that I kind of have in my head that, that a lot of people are part of. So Ravi became part of that community. He, you know, he went in, he put it about, I think, uh, it was about one CR, which is roughly around 200K uh, USD. Mm -hmm. And then we, we got a few more investors together. We pulled a uh, slightly larger round. And that's how I would say we got our first round. We were still in college at this point, right? We, we hadn't got our degrees yet. So, you know, it is funny because most people out of college, they're like, okay, I need a job. And, and in India, uh, a job right out of college would pay you what? Um, let me tell you. About eight, $9,000. And we had raised uh, $262,000, right? So it's a big responsibility. Um, I was stressed out of my mind, but hey, you know, just, <laughs> uh, I mean, we, I mean we, we, we went for a moonshot. And we, we ended up getting some portion of it at least. It was good. It was in hindsight, right. if I had done that, I wouldn't be here today. 
No, I, absolutely. I mean, I look, I, I, I've raised money before as well uh, for Kaya when I was building that. Uh, and and it, I had a very similar experience uh, that you had in the sense that, you know, one of uh, my first investor in Kaya was a, a long a friend of mine who uh, who is also uh, a technology uh, technology entrepreneur um, and had started and still runs a successful software company. Um, and and he and basically, you know, at that at that stage of the game, I had literally just an idea. There was no product. There was no team. It was just me and, and what I thought, you know, we could build. Um, and he believed in me uh, uh, enough to in, invest you know, over $100,000 into the company to get it started. Um, and really, you know, when it comes to uh, building a company at that stage, it, it's all about uh, in my opinion, uh, and it seems that you you tend to agree with this, is persistence, but also building those relationships with people over a uh, over an extended period of time. It's not something that just happens, you know, over over the course of a day or a cold email. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you have to, you have to consistently kind of build relationships and and keep people up in the loop. And like you said, uh, I found the same thing where you know I would email people. Uh, and then I, I, I consistently follow up, you know, every couple of days, you know, or so, assuming I didn't get a reply. And, and over the course of months, like you said, provide updates in terms of what we were doing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that did, you know, that did lead to additional calls. It did lead to uh, an additional investment. Um, it, so these things do take time. And it's, it's a very good point that, you know, I think one of the things a lot of uh, entrepreneurs or especially early entrepreneurs sometimes don't realize is the amount of persistence it takes to be an entrepreneur. Exactly, um, and and that 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 attitude of not not giving up, um, and and that things you know there is no such thing as a real overnight success because every overnight success that you hear of has been working in the background for a year or two or you know or more in some cases. Yeah, but um, internally internally we call this the hit rate mechanism. So in Avalon we have something called a hit rate. We say that uh-huh. when you're a small entrepreneur, nobody knows about you your hit rate will be 5%, which is, you know, you send out 100 emails or you make, you try to do 100 different things, five of them will work. But as you get better, as you get more experience, as you build a network, your hit rate increases. So the more experienced you are, you you still cap out like a hit rate of 20, 25%, right? But that's still very good. Like one out of every four mails getting a reply, one out of every four calls, you know, being productive, that kind of stuff. And and that's how we measure it internally. That that's that's actually that's a really interesting way to measure. It. I, I like that approach. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to start thinking about it like that. I didn't think I've never thought about it in, in that in that sense. But but that does make that does make uh, a lot of sense to me in terms of the way you just explained it. Um. So so we talked a little bit about how you just raised some how you raised some money. Uh. You know through persistence and hard work and 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 and, uh, and getting in front of the right people. Uh, if, if, if I was a first time entrepreneur or if anyone's listening is a first time entrepreneur, you know, what kind of advice would you, would you give that person? What like f- very first thing that they should be thinking about or doing right out of the gate? I think uh, and this will be counterintuitive to a lot of advice that most entrepreneurs get. Uh, I would say take yourself less seriously and take your vision a little less seriously. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs, they come in with this this burning passion right they want to solve this one particular problem and they think they know how to do it and they're like okay you know this is how i'm going to solve it and those entrepreneurs often end up failing right the main reason for that is there's no space for for pivots right if you if you're if you're 100 sure that something is going to work i i think that you might 
be misjudging its ease or or somebody's already thought of the idea right if it's that good an idea so i would say put a little less focus on the ideas that you have and a little more focus into building relationships building the network and actually building something people want most people build what they want they don't want build what other people want and that's that's i would say don't do that yeah no that that's great advice honestly um I mean, that wasn't what i would, that wasn't what i was i was expecting you would go with but that's actually really good advice um and i think the reason you know i i really like that advice obviously is that as you point out you know if you're if you're very rigid if you're in terms of your your idea and this is how you have to do it this is how you have to execute and and and, and there's no kind of flexibility in your plan that's a huge mistake on your part and a huge red flag for investors um because if if, if at least you know if, if you don't show that you have the ability to adapt or in, or in some cases pivot slightly or or make a huge pivot uh to make your business work then 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 you really have no business being an entrepreneur uh, you know i think exactly and from a funding perspective uh, i i mean it depends on your business right if, if you're running a services company then you you should be you should just go for the clients, right? You should go straight for clients. But if you're yeah. if you're a product company and you need the money and you don't have you know background being an entrepreneur, then I think you got to show potential investors. Firstly, you need to find these potential investors, and second, you need to keep showing them consistent progress and updates. You got to have patience, right? It takes six to eight months to raise capital, and it takes that much time because you need to send out six to eight months worth of reports right, to these potential investors, and eventually you'll get them to invest a little bit you know investors it's about trust right it's not about i invest something and i'm looking at a 10x return of course it's also about that but it's also about trust like i look at somebody and i want to invest in that person i want to know is this guy going to walk away three months later when when the heat cranks up right right and if you've Uh, been around for six to eight months and and you've been sending me reports for six to eight months then i'm like okay you know this guy's been around for a while he i think he can handle a little bit of this and maybe i should invest a little bit and then you can get these conversations going. And and I think that's the best way to approach funding, right? Don't, I mean, you sh- your game plan shouldn't be, hey, I'm going to raise money first. I, I don't think that works out very well. Right. No, I, I, yeah, and I, I think one of the key things you just hit on is how, how important it is to be able to weather storms and, you know, ride the roller coaster, if you will, of, of being an entrepreneur. Um, if, 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 if you don't, if you don't consistently stick with what you're doing, um, uh, then that that's a huge, that's another red flag for for investors and just you know for you as a person, uh, if you can't stick with something that you want to build, that clearly you don't believe in it enough. Um, you know there I mean there are obviously certain points in a company's life where you where you as the founder uh, have to make a decision whether or not this is a viable thing to continue to work on. But that's not after three months. You know that could be that's after at least a couple of years. Exactly. Um, you know, right. And and you got to find uh, the balance, right? I mean, you got to find balance right. between is should I pivot or should I just walk away and build something completely different? And and, and all that requires persistence, right? So uh, you got to have, and that comes from experience. How long do I give this before I move on to the next thing? But being an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter what that thing is. It it matters that you're not going back and working for somebody else after three or four months. That that's typically what happens. Right, right. No, yeah, exactly. Um, so speaking of, uh, I just want to go back to the one of the things about emails real quick, because um, you emailed me. Uh, this is how we met, like literally earlier in the week, 
and I, th- and I thought you were really fascinating after I was speaking with you over the weekend. And, and, and your email to me uh, was, was pitching essentially uh, your, new pro- your new project, Inkidu, um, uh, and why I should cover it on Best Techie. And, and it was just one of the most well-thought-out, um, well-presented, cold email pitches I've ever received. And, 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 and I just want to, I just want to say, you know, I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, what, you know, what, what do you, what do you, when you're writing a cold email, whether it be to, for press purposes or for an investor, uh, you know, what are the, some of, what are some of the key things you look to include at all times? So at least from an email perspective, look, if you go through your email, A, there are a lot of people sending you a lot of shit, right? So you don't want to see something, (laughs) you don't want to see something generic. And at the same time, you want something that connects to you. So we, I don't know if, if you've heard of this, but we actually used to run a pre-sales agency called Blitzreach. It was part of Avalon. We kind of shut it down because it's too time consuming uh, to kind of do pre-sales for other people. But we're really good at emails. We've been doing it for, for years, right? I mean, that's why we're here. I would say the one tool that I couldn't do without is email. Um, so, so every email that I have, I make sure the subject is something very simple. It could be, you know, it could be something that I know will catch your eye, or it could be something generic like, hey, uh, you know, Jeff, do you have five minutes? And the, I just need you to open the email. Once you open the email, my first line is about, I know you're busy or, you know, uh, or some connect, right? Or, or Jeff, you know, I met you at this conference or Jeff, yeah. and this this got to be legit stuff. Or Jeff, I really like your last tweet about, you know, X, Y, Z. And then we get straight in the meat of it. I'm like, dude, I know you don't have time because you don't. I, I, most of the people I email don't have time. And I'm like, straight to the point, we do this. Um, this is this is a little bit about us. This is this is what our platform does. Would you like to cover us? Straight to the point, right? And, and it, it, we don't kind of beat around the bush. A lot of, I mean, mm-hmm. most of the generic emails will be like, we have this product. It does one, two, three, four, five. And they end it, right? We start with the personal connect. We, we kind of uh, go straight to the point and then we just end it with, what we want we want to we want you to kind of cover it and and also that's worked for us right and we've got a lot of uh, alternatives so one of our alternatives is we we don't even talk about the product if if what we're selling isn't very good enough and sometimes we've done that for clients right we talk about i mean we we have this very famous uh, wager email so i'll send you an email and i'll say uh, you know there's a game coming up this weekend it's you know uh, celtics versus warriors and my money's on Celtics, and uh, you know I'm, I'm a, I know you're a Warriors fan because I looked at your Twitter. Now, if the Warriors win, I'll send you some you know some uh, goodies over your way. Just send me your address, and if I win, you agree to take a 30-minute introductory call about XYZ product, right? So we we we've tried <laughs> so many different emails. We have a book, an internal book, just on emails. Like how what are emails? Why do they work for us? Which emails work? What's the conversion rate of this email? And we use now we use professional emailing tools, right? We don't just send emails from from uh, Gmail. We have we got a sales suite. We have our own. We built our own kind of uh, sales platform. So we know what emails work. So we have a list of email rankings internally. So we we use the best, and and it works like natural selection, right? As we find better and better emails, we make s- small modifications on them and we test them against each other, and we keep taking the winner. So all the emails that we send now are all winners, like. People, I mean, emails that have been through many, many iterations. Right, right. No, that's what that's what we did at Kaya actually when we were doing a lot of cold uh, outreach via email. Um, our, we, I always described it as our 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 kind of template that we used was was a living document that constantly was evolving. 
um, you know, based on testing that, like you just described. And it's actually funny that, you, you know, we talk about email and like how everyone in like Slack and other companies want to kill email. But, you know, um, I don't think email is going anywhere. And if, and, and if you just look at what, you know, Elon Musk has famously said that if you ask him what he's really good at these days, he, he'll tell you he's really good at email. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I think I think I think it's an, I think it's probably an, uh, an overlooked skill um, in many cases. Yep, I think it's it's but, very uh, integrated yeah. business. Oh yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about um, some some of the uh, opportunities that are that are in the tech space right now. In terms of if you were to start a company, uh, you know, obviously you just launched a new project uh, in Kidu that's ba that you know is, is off the blockchain. We're using blockchain technology, um, but I'm curious if you have any particular thoughts in, in terms of hot, you know, hot uh, places in tech, whether that be blockchain, machine learning, AI, or or something completely different. So, from my perspective, I think I would I wouldn't get into ML or AI right now, and the main reason is most people who are saying they're doing ML or AI are just building chatbots, right? They're building chatbots with varying complexities. There are very few people who are actually working on on ML data that's based on, I, I'll give you an example, right? Uh, I think that's a better way to put it. When, at Jobsfire, we tried doing ML. We said, let's match companies and recruiters. And over time, we kind of realized that that training data that we were using, the CVs, that information is not correct, right? So we were matching people based on an algorithm that we thought works, but the training data itself was bad data. Right. A person would represent themselves and say, you know, I've, I've done this, I've done that. But if you actually give them a test on those concepts, they probably fail. So you're taking information that they've given themselves. So similarly, in most fields today, if you ask users to submit their own data, A, they're very lazy to submit all their data and B, some of the data is wrong. <laughs> so who's going to actually go out, clean that data, make sure, you know, you're finding right fits. So I think ML and AI, they're better suited for tasks like image recognition, where, you know, the training data is, it, it just is, right? I mean, there's no, there's no, it's it's just, it's a, it's not subjective, right? Or, or medicine, mm. where, you know, you have some genes, you have some, uh, with medicine, all of that data is available. You just do a blood test. You don't care what, how a person thinks or how a person feels or how a person presents himself. So I think it's better suited for those uh, kind of um, industries. Where I think, um, uh, I mean, what technology I'd love to be lo uh, involved in, I think definitely genetics, CRISPR, and maybe even the microbiome. I think genetics is is, is a heavily underrated uh, field, especially CRISPR-Cas9. I'm not sure what your understanding of that is, but CRISPR-Cas9 is simple, right? It allows you to kind of play God. So you can, you can play with uh, live genes of somebody else. You can turn off genes, you can turn on genes, you can change uh, the way those genes work. And it's beautiful technology because instead of you sitting and, re and solving problems, like if you have an allergy, you give somebody an antihistamine, right? But it, with CRISPR, you can just turn off the genes that cause the allergy. So you're solving the problem at the root. And obviously there are implications, right? You might make designer babies. Um, you might end up making a chimera, not now, but that, the tech is not there now, but maybe in five or 10 years, but I'd love to be a part. And the other space that we've been uh, looking out for is the microbiome. Uh, mm -hmm. The microbiome is basically, you know, bacteria in your body. Uh, there are the bacterial cells in your body out, or, or the bacterial genes in your body outnumber the human genes, right? Like by a huge magnitude. And the one of the coolest parts is, uh, at least this year for us, because we used to run, we we still run Calm India, right? One of the, our biggest learnings is that probiotics, some some 
types of probiotics actually influence your mood and it's a one is to one correlation via the hormone cortisol so if anybody is listening to this you check out b-gos it's a type of prebiotic fiber that's that causes a huge drop in your waking cortisol levels right it's 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 better than half the antidepressants out there so a lot of our learnings have come from there and we were like whoa uh, maybe a lot of things that go on in the human body is in the gut and and that's what the science says right alzheimers they found a link they found a link with eczema they found a link with uh with a lot of you know with migraines right so so it's it's a cool field uh, we might still be overestimating its value but i'd love to be involved in any way possible i mean we are involved to a certain degree i can't reveal how but uh, we have been kind of looking at the space Stop very close <laughs> yeah awesome. oh hopefully hopefully no. i'll be able to tell you soon nice what? i i i i've read a little bit about crispr and stuff but i haven't i don't i actually don't know too much about it but now that you've you've piqued my interest so i'm going to have to go uh, educate myself a bit <laughs> so so one um, one last space that we've been looking sure. at is the AR VR space uh, we got in very early we kind of bought the HTC Vive the day it was released and we said you know let's build a, a VR cafe but VR never took off so we we'd call that an avalon failure <laughs> <laughs> well VM, it's not just your failure it really it really hasn't taken off yet across the globe uh, at any level i mean you have you have some popularity with Oculus and obviously HTC but um but the, but they're not moving units like uh, or and there's not enough development behind it because again there's not a, there's not a big enough market uh, at the moment. Yep. So it's not just so basically I'm I'm just getting it. It's not it's not, it's not just you who got who failed at VR at least right now. It's not you. It's everybody. <laughs> um, it's everybody exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, you know you you've obviously been a successful entrepreneur. You've uh, employed people. You, uh, from what I understand, you've hired more than 200 people over the course of your career so far. Uh, talk, I want to I talk a little bit about your management style and you know any tips you may have uh, that you can offer to people. Sure. So, uh, I mean, more than hiring people, I've interviewed a lot of people. Uh, we've hired 200 people across all our businesses across the years. Um, but I think I've interviewed so many people now that I can tell in five minutes when I'm going to hire somebody or not. And one of the biggest advantages we have is we were running a job board, so we've seen other companies hire, and I know, and I know, even if you give somebody uh, like an interviewer a ton of data, they'll still make a gut decision at the end of the day whether they want to hire somebody or not. So uh, there are a lot of people who can perform really well in an interview, but don't actually do well at the job. And other times, the people who perform really poorly in an interview, but might be really good fits. Like uh, one of my graphic designers, or actually our video guy, we we recently hired a video guy. And, um, he's really good. Like he, uh, when he started working with us, we, we couldn't tell, right? Like we were like, okay, you know, this this person is going to do some videos for us. But a lot of those subtle <laughs> things where you expect, where you don't expect somebody to be somebody to be able to do as good a job as him, he just he just delivered. And and you're like, hey, I didn't even ex- have to explain that for you. You figure out the context out of this video. You figure out where to put the pauses, where to put the music. So a lot of things that that I didn't expect he 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 kind of you know put together. So that's very difficult to tell. I wouldn't be able to tell from the interview, right? And I've, I've interviewed a, a ton of people. So I, I don't think it's a science. Uh, I wish it was like dating where, you know, you'd be able to uh, kind of date somebody for a bit and, and tell if they're good or not. And then if they're bad, you can just tell them, you know, I, 
I don't want you anymore. <laughs> you shouldn't be working here. <laughs> I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm not interested. But you can't do that, right? You can't waste somebody else's time because hey, people got to pay rent and and uh, watch movies. So uh, we found an alternative. We kind of give them a two or three day test. We we ask them to come to work for two or three days. We make them you know do a few things that they would do at work. and we see how well they perform we see how well they gel with the team because you can hire the best people out there but if they don't if 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 they can't gel with your team if they if they aren't able to make conversation they're not going to last very long so i mean it's 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 hard hiring right it's it's just such a difficult problem we try to solve it it's it's very difficult uh from management style perspective i'm more of a figure it out yourself kind of guy i mean if you speak to anybody from my team they'll just tell you if i ask varun a question if it's a very very complicated question then he'll sit down and explain to you but if it's something that he feels is simple he'll just tell you go figure it out okay what is google for so uh <laughs> so uh, i mean i believe that people should be really good at google and i i don't need magicians right i don't need experts who can come and tell me okay this is how it works because google already has that and a lot of experts today kind of put their information online already so we don't really need those people we need people who can extract information from somewhere and be able to give me applicable tangible advice that i can use right so that's the kind of people that i like working with and my core team i mean the people who work directly under me we, i have five or six people who work directly under me and obviously they have their own teams uh, i love these guys right i mean it's very easy to work with them some of them are still growing some of them are still understanding um, uh, the way uh, you know a business works at scale but uh, you know i've i've never worked with a more hard working bunch so i would say from a management style perspective they kind of do their own things it's they just rely on me to kind of give fill in the holes right fill in whatever they they won't be able right, to do because right. they lack that experience right that's awesome so so i i like that approach i think you know i i i've i've used a similar style where um you know you, you provide guidance and and assistance when when necessary but you kind of let your uh your team kind of grow and blossom um through that guidance but also on their own they can they uh, again they figure it out on their own uh if you cuz if you if you I found if you hold their hand too much um that's not that's not a good experience for you personally having to sit down and do that but it's also not a good uh work experience for them where they feel like they're either being micromanaged or and also they they may not learn as much that way in the long term yep totally agree totally awesome. on board So 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 I I know you're also a uh an avid ICO investor and angel investor. Um mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about what you what you look for when investing in an ICO or in a company as an angel investor. So I'll tell you about my angel investments first. I've invested in two companies. I've lost money in two companies. So I don't think my advice is the best <laughs> advice. <laughs> so I mean I don't know. I I look for teams um there are a lot of variables right you you gamble that's why people hedge their money they invest in many different companies but we in, at avalon we invest in companies that we incubate as well we we have one such company called regen which is a liquid nutrition product um we, i mean all all that's happened is that you you got to invest in people who who seem like they're in for the long run right and i try to do that but there a lot of there's so many economic factors i mean they should be targeting a big enough idea or a problem they need to have the resources to be able to solve that problem they need to have the connections to get press to get to the marketing to be able to get other investors apart from me on board so in terms of angel investments i i don't think i'm the best angel investor i, I think my cv should just say has lost money in multiple companies um 
but <laughs> uh, but from a ICO investing perspective, see the difference between ICOs and regular investments is you can get out at any time, right? With ICOs, your liquidity is there the minute the coin or the token hits the exchange. So if I think that the team is is isn't in for the long run, or or I feel you know after inve- after the investment there's something fishy going on, there's a way for me to liquidate, and that's what I like about ICOs over you know regular this thing. But but I think most ICOs fail, right? Just like most funded startups, uh, most ICOs like obviously there's also legitimacy. I like meeting the entrepreneurs. I like talking to them. I like figuring out you know what they are like, how they speak, uh, how they tackle problems, which isn't very easy to do when you're uh, you know, uh, through an ICO interface. But a uh, few of the successful ICOs that I put money in, I mean, I put money in Stellar, I put money money in uh, Ethereum when they were really young. Obviously, I got a little, I would say, for an early investor, I got a little too late into Ethereum. Uh, but then a lot of the ICOs these days, like um, Snob, which is a competitor of uh, one of the products we run, Foxbound, um, just to kind of see how the market reacts, I, I would say. So, from an ICO investment perspective, I, I, I'm just looking at, uh, have you built shit before? How well or badly has that gone? Right. And I'd love to, you know, kind of sit there, look at look at the stuff that's been built and see if um, in the stories that they've built in the past, have they bounced back? Have they just said, you know, we're walking away? What was the story like? So I like, I like looking at that. But then again, uh, you know, I keep repeating this a lot. A monkey with darts was able to predict the markets better than the best Wall Street brokers. So I, I think it's it's as good as gambling. Like you, you can never say some some startup could get really lucky because they they went viral for some stupid reason. So I I, I don't know. I just uh, it's difficult. It's just difficult investing. No, no, it absolutely is difficult. I mean, like you said, sometimes there's there's always a little there's always at least a little bit of luck involved with any of this. Um, yep. Uh, at least I feel. Uh, one of the other uh, so just real quick on the ICO front. Uh, so do you do you believe there needs to be a little bit more regulation in the space? Because I mean, uh, you've seen stories like where where you know these guys will raise you know money through an ICO and then they go out and buy a yacht or something. Well, how how would you be able to prevent that with regulation, right? Like that, that's that's my biggest concern. Okay, you regulate it, you only right. allow accredited investors, you only allow a certain type of. I mean, you'll have to have a barrier to be able to raise money. Um, and by barrier, I mean, you need to have the entrepreneur to fill some sort of test and prove he's credible. I mean, it's very difficult to get somebody's credibility, right? Like, I mean, I could be doing something 50 years and then year 51, I could decide to be fraudulent, right? For whatever reason. And people, I mean, mm-hmm. that's what's happening in the ICO space, right? Most of these guys haven't seen this kind of money. And the minute they get this kind of money in the bank, they're like, okay, you know, it's time for me to walk away and, and buy, uh, you know, an expensive car. So, it's hard to tell. I don't think regulation is going to change that part of things. But regulation will protect investors. Um, if if you're regulated and you're only allowed to invest after some accreditation or, or you show that you understand this space and, and you're able to, um, uh, you know, you, you can imagine the risks involved, then I think that's, that's very valuable. Um, but I don't know how you do it, right? Like, would you give people a blockchain IQ test? Would you give people a cryptocurrency IQ test? I think South Korea or, or one of the other countries, I don't remember, uh, poor general knowledge, but um, one of the countries is, is proposing this, right? We'll give you a test. If you pass the test, then you can invest in ICO. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think that's very stupid. I think a lot of these guys, they, at least people who are investing in ICOs, 
they're looking for their community leaders to give them advice. They, that's, they're either looking at YouTube channels, they're either looking at particular Telegram groups or particular websites, and they're like, okay, you give me information and tell me what ICO is a good ICO to invest in, right? And because I've been on both sides of the table, I've been an investor, I've been, uh, I've run an ICO too, or we're running an ICO too. Uh, we kind of understand both sides of the table. I mean, you don't want to be left out. It's the, it's FOMO in action, right? Uh, fear of missing out in action. And right, right. Uh, I, I don't see uh, how regulation would change that. I mean, everybody would want to be an accredited investor. I mean, why not? Right. So, mm-hmm. of course, there's a lot of other things that, that regulation brings in too, right? I mean, regulation makes sure that if you're raising capital, you're not walking with that capital. You're accountable uh, for that capital. Um, so, so I think. It, it's about creating a platform where ICOs can happen safely. Somebody's got to do it. I think people are already working on it. And Ethereum is such a platform, but it's not the safest platform in the world uh, in terms of, you know, how do you manage credibility? But yeah, somebody's going to solve the problem. I think that's that's going to be solved very, very quickly. Yeah, I think it has to be in order in order for it to be a sustainable thing. Um, you know, people are eventually going to wise up and get, you know, upset uh, enough times that they're no longer going to want to invest in these ICOs, which will... Uh, affect uh, the entire marketplace uh, yep. if, if there's nothing that that's there to protect them in some way. Yep. Cool. Uh, so one of the last the last question before we get to the lightning round. This is a this is a softball question. So you, you obviously you spend a lot of time working. I, I realize it's probably I don't know it's got to be at least one a.m. or two a.m. by you right now, right? It's <laughs> eleven ten actually. It's it's very early. Oh, it's eleven ten. Okay. All right. So it's twelve forty p.m. here. Uh, wow. in here in New York. Um, so I just am curious, what do you, what do you do to relax? Uh, do you have any hobbies? Um, I know you mentioned I, movies a lot. I'm a, I'm a huge movie fan myself. <laughs> I actually don't watch too many movies. I don't get the time. I, I, I mean, what I've been doing a lot these days is I play a lot of Overwatch or Dota. Like I like, I love gaming. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just something that, I mean, if you have a computer when you're really young, you start to, I mean, you have time to kill. You're like, okay, let me load up a game. So I love playing multiplayer arenas and I get very competitive in the game. So if you ask me what I do to relax, then gaming wouldn't be the answer. But if you say what I do in my free time, I game. In terms of <laughs> what I do to relax, I don't know. I mean, I just, that, that thought hasn't crept out of my, my mind at all. I, uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, it's... I can tell you, I can tell you for me, like, the way, the way I define relax in the first place is like something that I'll do to like, shut my brain off from thinking about work-related things um so like so like for me i like like i mentioned i love watching movies or uh tv shows but also i'll i'll read like i'll read a book uh usually a book that's not like business related or uh or anything like just just something that's you know like harry potter or you know something in that realm um something more fun um than like a business book and usually that's how i tend to, to to do it so I, I don't think I've ever had a distinction, distinction between work and play, right? Like today, somebody, like just today, somebody asked me, what will you do if you retired, right? And I'm like, this is exactly what I do if I retired. This is exactly what I do. <laughs> I feel and, I mean, the I, same way as you actually on that. I, yeah, I, I've I mean, been I, doing this because we've been doing, I mean, we've both been doing this for so long since we were so young. It's, it's like essentially what we've done is we've turned our hobbies into our work passion. Exactly, right? You know? I mean, if, yeah. if, if, if I... If I listen to music for a living and I mean, if I listen to music to relax and I and I also had music, I mean, I had to listen to music. I was a music reviewer for a living or whatever. I mean, you'd love what you do, right? Like my office, the office that we built is right down the road. 
so i can wake up i can wake up at 12 12 13 in the afternoon whatever time i feel like waking up and just walk to the office and you know i i can step in and step out whenever i want to i'm always working so i i don't have that guilt of oh shit you know i've only worked 5 hours today or i've only worked 6 hours today i'm just i'm working all the time if i get an email it's exciting i reply to that email <laughs> um if i get if i have a call i'm like okay you know and i and i'm i work according to a calendar a very simple calendar i think you met amy who's my ai assistant yep. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah <laughs> so she she helps me out you know whenever i get in a spot but I, i don't pro, have a by the way for for x.ai they they have a that's their product amy uh it helps you basically i'll just real quick it helps you schedule uh calendar uh in events and things with people so you don't have to do it it's pretty cool <laughs> there goes my sales commission. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh I don't have a distinction between work and play. I mean, everything is work, everything is play. It's the same thing. I I I love what I do. I just I feel like I'm already retired to be very honest. <laughs> that's that's a great that's a great uh that's a great feeling. All right, Varun. So, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. I I, re- I really uh enjoyed our chat. Now, we're going to jump into the lightning round. It's uh it's it's about it's a couple different questions this or that format you have to reply um based on the question uh with which whatever uh one you like better got it right, so let me know when you're ready whenever you're ready we'll get started you're putting me on the spot but i think i'm ready yep all right awesome mac or pc mac blockchain or machine learning uh blockchain mark zuckerberg or evan spiegel Mark Zuckerberg. Bitcoin or Ethereum? Ethereum. ICO or angel investing? ICO. And the last one is Apple or Orange? Orange. Nice. That's a good. I like. I like both. But if I had to pick, I think Orange would be my go, my go-to as well. Yep, I, I, I'm right. an Orange guy. <laughs> nice. Varun, thank you very much for being on Techie Bites. Really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm/besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.